going on, Harper? What's up, Nate? Harper, so good to see you. What's up, guys? Nice to see you both. We are happily joined by Harper Levine, the proprietor of Harper's Gallery and Harper's Books. Um, Both separate, uh, separate things, right? Still, like, we have two websites. You know, yes, separate things with two websites. We're trying just to call the whole business Harper's. Okay, okay. It it's never going to work because <laughs> you know every everybody knows us as Harper's Books, and there's mm-hmm. this confusion about what we are. But we're trying to just say Harper's. Yeah, and then it changes the meaning of the apostrophe. Is it a possessive thing, or you know, like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because right now it's also a very plural thing. Because yeah, exactly. Yeah, galleries. oh, it's true, true story, true story. Um, we're very happy to have you on here. We wanted to get you on here for a while. We're all in, in different spots. Harper, you're in the city at one of your galleries. Uh, I am. Yeah, I'm at our gallery on the Upper East Side on 74th Street. Wonderful, for space. which which is which is closed now after our our last show just came down, or not that long ago, and uh, we are closed until September. So I have a mm-hmm. minute of peace and quiet here in this gallery. What Amazing. I always think of is Harper's apartment. Did you ever used to live in that space, like when you were in the city? You know, yes, and I absolutely loved living here. I didn't have a place in the city until we started this apartment space which is still called Harper's apartment Uh in 2016. And we used it as a pied a terre and it was magical. Um, After a couple of years, it became a little bit difficult to live here and to run a gallery. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, my wife and I would like, we would have to put our clothes in the closet and we couldn't sleep late. And, you know, we were, it was, it was just too much. So we wound up getting a separate apartment, but I did, but I did live here and I have really fond memories of it. Uh, for those who, who have never been, it's in this like charming, but kind of weird building with uh, mm-hmm. you can go in an entrance and there's multiple staircases to get up to the different levels to choose the right one. It's a little almost MC Escher esque, like choose your own adventure, a but a beautiful pre pre-war apartment with big high ceilings. It's just the, the volume of the space is really nice. I always fantasize about either living there or having an office uh, similar to that space These great windows that uh, as I'm looking at you now are open up uh, onto the street there. Um, and it really works for, for showing, for showing artwork, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was great for me. It was our first foray into New York city. And in fact, it was the first place that I found when I started looking, I got this apartment wow. on, on street easy. And, you know, after I put in my criteria, shout out street easy, That's shout amazing. out to street easy. It just showed yeah. up and I'm like, I'm like, wow, this looks like it's perfect. You know, high ceilings, good proportion, cheap. And um, I, I got really lucky. What can I say? It's good. So how do they do they do they feel OK about the fact that you're running a semi public? OK, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never had any issue with the building. You know, we we try to be pretty respectful. We don't have a lot of people come through because we are on the second floor. And um, I do think the Escher like quality of the building has maybe scared a few punters off over the years. Um, <laughs> you have to be though, intrepid to get up there and see what goodies yeah, you have a little bit. I mean, that's the beauty of being on 74th street between Madison and park is at least the neighborhood feels like it's okay. Um, even if the building is a little wonky, uh, but so far so good. We've had no complaints and it's been, it's been a great space for us. Um, I want to, we're going to get into the now and, and the future, but I want to back up because uh, now I know you as a gallerist who, who shows, you know, visual art, but you started out as a, primarily a book dealer. How did that, how did that happen? Primarily a book, a dealer of books of photography, if my research led me in the right direction. Uh, when and where did this interest kind of first arise in you? So that's, that's true. Um, I was living in St. Paul, Minnesota, going to graduate school, was the 
mid nineties, I was uh, getting my MFA in writing, which I never finished. And I was working at a use and rare bookstore called James and Mary Laurie booksellers. And I, after a few months there, I quickly realized that I loved the life of sort of looking at books and looking for books. I began to do a little, what we call book scouting on the side. And right about that time is when the internet started. And um, I had had some luck finding books for little money that were worth a little bit more. And I left the bookstore and started Harper's Books in 1997, which I did in a small apartment on Grand Avenue in St. Paul with fewer than 100 books. Um, The business grew over time. I started actually as a literary dealer focused on post-colonial literature, if you can believe it, and also like obscure poetry. And in fact, I still love those things to this day. And then as the years progressed, you know, I became more and more interested in in photo books and in art books. And uh, the short story is one thing led to another. And then when we moved uh, back to New York uh, in 2001, after my daughter was born, right after 9-11, moved out to the Hamptons. And then the focus really became art and photography, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I got a lucky break to move into the space I'm in now in East Hampton. I shared it with the guy who was there first from 05 to 07, and I took it over in 2010. But yes, I began exclusively as a book dealer with absolutely no interest or thought of being an art dealer. Zero. Oh, incredible. I mean, what kind of like post-colonial novels were, were, were able to be bought and sold? Like what was the market for like? Well, the life? pinnacle, I mean, the, the, the sort of most famous example is Salman Rushdie's Midnight's Children. Okay. Which was named the, you know, sort of like the Booker of Bookers and is one yeah, of the most yeah. important novels of the 20th century. That's, there were, there were many books that were more obscure, uh, but that was like, that was like the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even back in those days, like I was interested in finding things that folks didn't know, like, you know, whether or not I knew a lot about it, you know, I would go scouting at bookstores. And if I saw an interesting book from a Nigerian author that was written in English, um, I bought it and I tried to find out about it and I tried to resell it. I was, I've always been interested in discovery. That's like, that's like a, a focal point that runs through the whole, um, narrative or tenure history. of my, yeah, yeah, yeah. narrative, my, narrative of my career. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting. And was there any dovetail with, um, with that form of literature or that type of poetry with what you were working on in, in your MFA program or totally divergent, um, sort of stuff? I mean, that's a great question. I, I think there probably was some um, of a similarity there. I was working on a novel that was set in India before I moved to Minnesota. Um, I had a bit of a troubled youth. And before I, I moved to um, Minnesota, by the way, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to be as personal as Joel was. He went <laughs> like way over the top. Uh, Joel's Joel and, and, and Harper's Harper. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I, as much as I, I love uh, Joel, but let's just say that I had a, a troubled youth and a chunk of it was spent traveling. Uh, and the worst part of it, of the trouble that I ran into was when I was in India. So the book that I was working on for my MFA thesis was actually started as nonfiction, creative nonfiction, and then, you know, moved to fiction. And I just figured out, luckily for me at a relatively young age, that I didn't have the chops to be a writer. It just, you know, I didn't have the discipline. Um, I wasn't good enough. 
Listen, yeah. I, I hear you. I was on track to become an academic and in graduate school thinking I was going to get my PhD. Uh, realized I, I wrote everything late and, and somewhat poorly and enjoyed the discourse, but not the actual work of it until I discovered art and curating. I was like, oh, I can do with objects what I was trying to do with words, which wasn't working out. And I was going to be like, a, I was going to be my age now, like almost 45 and an ABD who is just like floating from, from teaching position to teaching position on a yearly contract. I think I figured out something very similar and I quickly understood that I really enjoyed looking for books and finding new material more than I did writing them. Not to mention the fact that I just luckily had a moment of clarity where I realized I was never going to be good enough. Never, at least I was never going to be good enough to be famous. I might've been good enough to, to like have been a teacher or something, which I just didn't want that life. So I'm much was much happier to find the life that I found. And mm-hmm. were you from New York originally? Is that how you ended up coming back after the birth of your daughter, around the birth of your daughter? Born and raised on the Upper West Side. Of course. Great. Of course. I should have known that. So um, I want to know, like, so when you open in the Hamptons, how is the clientele different from in St. Paul? Like, what, what types of people were you selling books to? And, like, what kind of books were you selling? Well, what, was there a shift? Well, yeah. I mean, in St. Paul, there really was no clientele. I mean, it was like <laughs> I had this, like, really funny basement shop in a little mall that had like a coffee shop and a pizza place. And it was more of an office. I was open, but nobody ever came. My initial uh, life as a book dealer was almost exclusively online. And then when I moved back to New York, I had a small office that nobody ever went to. Then I worked from home. And then I became friendly with Glenn Horowitz and the late John McWinney, who's the greatest dealer that most people have never heard of because of his untimely death back in 2012. And they were running an incredible bookstore and gallery, which is where I am now out in the Hamptons in actually a very similar manner to what, to what we do uh, today, which is a mixture of books and art, ephemera, paper, and just shit that we think is cool. And, you know, it was through becoming friends first with John, uh, very close friends, and then with Glenn, that I was able to move into that space and actually start the career for which I'm known now. Um, and and I mean, it's a great space. Before I knew you, I, when any time I'd come out to the Hamptons, it was mostly when you were just doing uh, paper, ephemera and, and books like I would get lost in there. And it was at a time where I didn't have any extra money in my pocket. But like I just would like dork out on like on things that weren't like my weren't things that I was a specialist in or knowledgeable about or, or, or was like kind of professionally engaged in, but like just incredible, even rock and roll ephemera, like just great, oh, great yeah. pieces of, of visual culture uh, uh, materialized that I thought were, was always really neat. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why I've had some success in my current life as an art dealer is that over the years, many years, I developed a, like a pretty decent visual language based on the content of all these incredible books and other things that I've handle. And that, that sort of gave me, I think, you know, a bit of a leg up in looking at art. Uh, I don't have any formal art training. I took art history in college, like everybody else. I really enjoyed it. But, you know, it's just was more for me looking at so many incredible things over so many years that I think gave me the eye that I have now, which has been very helpful. For sure. For sure. And so can you track back, like, when did you first show artwork 
in the space in addition in addition to books was there was there a first show i was trying to figure it out on the website and i couldn't quite get down to figure out what was what. So there, was, there was some photo shows early but i think that's maybe a slightly different thing like when did you first work with a visual artist and and who was it if you if you recall yeah so so it's funny because i did do photo shows there was a time when i actually had a different space which is too complicated to even explain you know i like to date my art career what folks know of it now from 2013 when we showed Roe Etheridge, right? Mm-hmm. In a sense, I think that's like my first show. I've been a fan of Rose. We was sort of friends with him. I reached out to him and right, exactly. And yeah. uh, he agreed to do a show with me. And that was, that was the summer of 2013. And then in the summer of 2014, I guess I had my lucky break as an art dealer because I was the first American dealer to show Geneve Figgis. Mm-hmm. And Geneve came to us through the recommendation of Richard Prince. He just found her had, on- online right he just he, he just found he, yeah yeah he yeah, found yeah. her on twitter and actually the story's yeah, sort of funny totally. i was going to show this other guy who canceled and i texted richard and i just said what should i do and he wrote back one word figus <laughs> and i got in touch with her through twitter i told her this thing and you know we did a show in the summer of 2014 and I knew I was onto something when I put a small painting in the window. She was unknown, you know, like completely unknown. And somebody walked in off the street like half an hour later and just bought it. Wow. If only it was I always wish that, that were me. And did you have, a, <laughs> yeah. I, I presume you had a relationship with Richard because I mean, he's considered, I think, uh, one of the most, one of the most major uh, American collectors of, of books right now, uh, mm-hmm. or was for a time, right? Richard is the greatest collector of books of all time. Wow, that's a statement. End stop. (laughs) Um, Certainly, uh, let me let me just backtrack a little bit. Certainly, of the books that he collects. Mm -hmm. So basically, like modern books from say 1930 to 1984. Even though he has books that predate that and books that are more recent, he's the greatest collector ever. And I wouldn't have a business without him. Richard Richard is the single most important person in the history of my business. Wow. both by supporting me by buying a lot of rare books, by encouragement, and now just by being a, like a great friend and a mentor. Um, so I got really lucky with that. And I have to give a shout out to John McWinney, my, yeah. my friend who passed away, because John and Richard were best friends. And Richard used to come into East Hampton a lot to just hang out and buy stuff. And over the years, he and I became very close. And yeah, I mean, without Richard, we would not be having this conversation today. It's incredible how, uh, I mean, I'm going to skip ahead and we'll go back, but just how that that space where you are with you, McWinney uh, uh, has now transformed. Also, like you had Joel Messler's rental gallery next door, uh, which is no longer open to the public and some other artists right there. How it's always been like a, a social nexus of just guys kibitzing uh, and girls yeah. uh, just kind of uh, sitting around and that kind of creative energy, which I think is so important to cultural production and cultural sales. Just the the hanging totally. out uh, quotient. I mean- I can't really afford to buy anything, as you know, Harper, unfortunately. But, I, but, but my first stop in East Hampton is always to see you and Joel, you know. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, we're, we're really lucky. Like, that spot just has a special energy. Um, you know, for me, it has the energy that it had back in the day when I was friends with John and John did his thing, which included, like, amazing shows with Elizabeth Payton and Adam McEwen and Richard Prince that a lot, that a lot of people have sadly forgotten. And... Now, uh, ever since Joel moved in, you know, the energy that Joel brought and my friendship with Joel, which 
you know, sort of was one of the most serendipitous things that happened to me mm -hmm. uh, just from a personal standpoint, because I love Joel so much, but the space has always had this great energy and we're just channeling it. I mean, it's like Joel will sometimes say, and he, he's three quarters serious. He's like just a vessel. And I sort of feel that way. It's like, there's just something else that goes on that's out there in the universe. And we just try to be the messenger and the vehicle as best we can. And, and, you know, for the most part, I actually believe that. Um, no, I think it's a beautiful thing. I've laid witness to it. And, uh, and there is certainly like an energy in those buildings. It's really, um, uh, uh, unsurpassable, um, for what it is. Um, I also think that if Joel ever does a, a retrospective three, three, three quarters serious would be a great title for it. Wow. Um, That's great. Um, so as, just before we get fully into, into the history of, of, of the, of the gallery and kind of where, where it's going, I just wanted to ask, what was the profile? Like when you were dealing specifically in books, would people come and would you do like whole libraries for people? Like I just, it's a world I know nothing about. So how is it the same and kind of different? Yeah. So, I mean, library building is something that we've gotten into relatively recently. That's sort of what my main focus is now, because I still work um, on the book side, even though I have a director uh, of Rare Books who sort of handles the day to day. But basically what the business was prior to that was just finding great examples of really important books, you know, from I'd say 2005 Onward, we, we were known in the book world as maybe one of the foremost dealers of photography books. That was my real specialty. And it segues into the art thing because photo was what I showed first. Hence, you know, Roe Etheridge, um, Martin Parr, uh, and a bunch of other photographers, John Gossage, Kazuo Kitai. Um, that was my mission was to find like the best copies of the and most historically significant copies of the most important books. Um, that was it. I mean, it's like secondary dealing in anything in a way, you know, finding a, a little bit of value that you can, that, that, that might not be found by others uh, and transferring that, to the people. That's true. And the thing about books, which was really amazing was unlike, I mean, you know, unless you're a really big shot secondary dealer, you're never actually going to get the greatest paintings. Whereas as a book dealer, since there's a limit to what these things are worth, I was able to handle basically all the best books. Wow. So I had this incredible experience, especially in photo, because, Prior to 1975, there was no photo market per se. So when a photographer sent out, set out to do a project, it was a book. The book is the object of record. It's not the print. So that sort of contextualization of books as objects was something that, you know, really propelled me forward because for whatever reason, not that many people had done it prior to me. And finding the new markets, like bringing Japanese photo books, which are at least from 1968 onward, maybe the most interesting photo books around into Western consciousness. You know, I've, I've always been really excited by finding the new thing. That's the most exciting thing. Going to Tokyo, walking around Jimbocho, which is the book area, going into shops and just finding new stuff. It's, there's no greater thrill. Yeah, I mean, you used to do and probably still do a lot of business in, in Japan, going over on the book side, going over once or twice a year, right? And, uh, and searching used, for things and, and clients yeah. as well. Yeah. Used yeah. to do a ton of business, not that many Japanese clients, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, Nate asked about what the difference in the clientele was between, mm. you know, St. Paul and uh, the Hamptons, which, of course, in St. Paul, there was no clientele. I mean, what the Hamptons really opened, you know, what the Hamptons really opened me up to was just this. And John and Glenn was just this whole concept of the fact that, like, people actually bought and collected things. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, and not just stuff that they found like online, um, but you know, that there were like really serious collectors and that at least in the Hamptons, they would just show up out of the blue. Um, that was really the energy was just sort of meeting all these great people. Yeah. I mean, praying for a cloudy day. So people don't want to be playing, uh, playing golf on the beach. Right. I, I mean, the thing about the Hamptons, which you can never, you know, which you just never know is who's going to walk in. Yeah. I mean, I've had so many unbelievable people walk in, you know, president Clinton, uh, for whom we would, we would find his, his birthday gift every year for a couple of years to just Amazing. like unbelievable people. And uh, that's been really remarkable. Yeah, no, it's it's a special place. So you, you do the uh, the figure show um, and uh, uh, well, you do the Rose show. And I think Rose is an interesting thing, especially when you think about history of photography, because like Rose, you know, started out both a catalog shooter uh, and a fine art photographer and a photographer, photographer and like where that line is. I mean, it's always been so complicated when it right. comes to photography and art. So I think he's an interesting pivot then. Uh, and then figures, obviously a pure painter. I mean, a painter, par painter, like, you know, it's mm-hmm. about materiality. It's about the stuff on the canvas. Um, and then kind of did that, did that ring a bell, bell in your head? Did you immediately say, oh, I want to do more of this? Or was it a more gradual transition after you did that show? It rang, it rang a little bell. I mean, I think by that time I had been in books so long and I, I sort of realized that it just was easier to sell paintings than it was to sell books. I really enjoyed the personal connection of actually interacting with artists. You know, as I said, I was friends with Richard. I had become friends with a lot of artists by that time because they all liked to come to the East Hampton Gallery. And I just really enjoyed that milieu. So at first it was more about like, almost like my personal life, because I just enjoyed hanging out with the artists so much more. I wasn't, even after the figure show, I wasn't thinking about where it was gonna go so much. I just sort of ran with it. Um, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I, I really thought, okay, I'm onto something here. And like, this is gonna give me um, an opportunity to have a really interesting career sort of later in life uh, that I should really fully pursue. So it was pretty gradual. And, and while you're in the, in the midst of this, while this is happening, all of these, I think in life, all things happen without planning or all good things uh, generally happen without too much planning or at least big kind of curves and, and narrative arcs. Um, but when do you decide when you, you kind of up and running, you're, you're showing more, more art in addition to the books. When do you then like, Oh, I have this great, you know, life full of serenity out in the Hamptons, you know, seasonal business. I can do my online book stuff, you know, mostly in the off season when you're like, oh, I want to complicate my life and have a space in New York City. (laughs) You know, that was the winter of 2015. And it was interesting because we moved out to the Hamptons when we moved from Minnesota was right after 9-11. And my family has a uh, house out there and my daughter was an infant. And we just were afraid to move to New York City right after 9-11. But it was never, the plan was never to be in the Hamptons. That was an accident. And, um, you know, we stayed because it was a great place to raise a child. And my wife's from Hawaii and she loves the ocean. And it just made sense. But I've been itching to get back to New York for years. And then my daughter went to boarding school and I just figured I would look around. I mean, Richard has this great story about how he found First House in 1993 where, you know, someone asked him like, because it was this shitty house in LA, like, how did you find it? And he said, it was available. (laughs) It was available. So I just went online and saw what was available. And I thought, well, you know, I can start in a studio apartment. I'm in the space I'm in now, which is 
It's just a studio apartment. That's all it is. It seemed pretty manageable. And it was. And, yeah. it, and it gave you an excuse to have a pedicure in the city. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. especially with your daughter away at school, I'm sure you had right. you know, you're more free to come in and hang out. You and the wife uh, see shows, exactly. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, exactly. what, was the, what was the first show in Harper's apartment? So actually, that's a really interesting question because it, it ties into Richard a bit. The first show at Harper's apartment was a show with Stuart Sutcliffe. So right. Stuart, Stuart Sutcliffe, right, exactly, the fifth yeah. Beatle. So Richard had curated a show out in the Hamptons of Sutcliffe uh, for me. I forget the year, 2013 or 2014, um, which was also, along with Figgis and Rowe, one of the things that got me to think about art more. Sutcliffe was an incredible artist. He died tragically at 22 of a brain aneurysm. Um, He left the Beatles when the Beatles went to Hamburg to study with Eduardo Palazzi. And he was just like a genius, like a boy wonder, Mm -hmm. uh, making very um, mature paintings and works on uh, paper, which even though they were done in the early 60s, looked super contemporary. Richard absolutely loved the work. And Stuart's sister, who has since passed away, lived in the Hamptons. And I approached just coincidentally, and I approached Richard about curating a show for me. He was really happy to do it. And so the first show at Harper's apartment, which was January 2016, was our second show with the estate of Stuart Sutcliffe. Um, And that's how we sort of kicked it off here. Very very cool. And we also doing book stuff out of the apartment. It was solely set up to be... uh be a, a visual art space. We had a small bookshelf. We still do have a small bookshelf here that we built into the fireplace, which isn't functional. We, <laughs> you know, we toyed with the idea of doing books here. It was actually Richard who dissuaded me from it because he came to look at the space before it was anything. And I asked yeah. him about it and he's like, no, just do art. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been really lucky to have had mentors who were, who were, artists who I love, who, when they tell you to do something, you don't really have to think much more about it. You just follow and it's easier. Um, and then I guess skipping ahead, I mean, there's a ton of great shows. I mean, uh, you know, um, like really interesting artists and, and some of their first shows in New York who went on to have a, a tremendous amount of commercial success and, and otherwise, um, but kind of blasting ahead to the last couple of years, you've really amped up the art program. And I, yeah. I really think of you now as, as a you're a gallerist now, buddy. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so we have, uh, so you had the, the space in, in, in East Hampton, uh, the, 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 the apartment on the Upper East Side, but in the past, I don't know, 12 months, 18 months, you've opened two spaces in New York, a space in Chelsea. Los Angeles. Yeah, two spaces in Chelsea, in addition to the apartment, uh, space in Los Angeles now. Is that right? Am oh, I missing any? You're, no, I mean, you've, you're slightly fast forwarding. We've, um, <laughs> we opened as, one as is my space. Want. <laughs> we opened one space in Chelsea at 534 West 22nd Street, basically next to Hauser and Worth, mm-hmm. which I got also sort of by chance. The big space in Chelsea, which is just down the block, we're not going to open until probably January of 2022. That mm-hmm. space still has to be built out. Um, and the space in LA opens on October 1st. That space is mostly done. And the fact that I'm opening you know, both spaces simultaneously, that that was also not something that I planned in advance it just sort of happened um so yeah i'm not quite sure what i'm getting myself into here but. yeah i mean <laughs> your freaking flyer mile account must be outrageous um Plat- platinum on delta now i went from silver Great. to platinum in like six weeks 
That's what, that's, what, that's what it's all about. It's what it's all about in my book. Um, now, I know that you 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 have done um, book fairs or art fairs with booths that specialize in, in, in books. I've been thinking about one I saw at the Armory that was just like full of incredible, incredible, like early oh, yeah, editions of important American literature that was just like a bananas out of control. Have you done art fairs or is that something you will do? So we've done a bunch of art fairs. Um, we've we've done Expo Chicago. Mm-hmm. We've done not in Miami. We did not in New York. We did Untitled. We are in the process of applying to, you know, all the major fairs, which we intend to do once they let us in. I mean, right. you know, we're still a young gallery, even though I've been in business almost 25 years. You know, we just really started representing artists seriously a couple of years ago. So we're, even though we have this major expansion, um, we're still relatively young. And I think it's going to take a minute for the big fairs to sort of recognize the breadth of the program. But once they let us in, our intention is to do all of the fairs. Great. Incredible. Incredible. Um, What kind of, I was just thinking as I was looking at the website and a a question I always want to ask dealers. Well, actually, let's, let's, let's begin with this. What artists are you working with right now that people might not know about that you're really excited about? I mean, yeah. I, saw, I saw an incredible show of this Los Angeles painter, Austin Wiener, in your New York space recently. Awesome. Um, awesome. Uh, uh, Marcus is doing like incredible stuff. But who, mm-hmm. who else are you like really enthused or maybe that you haven't shown yet to introduce people to that they might not know about? Uh, I would love to hear. I, I actually have something for you. So next we weekend go. in the Hamptons, we are opening a show in our backspace. We now have two spaces in the same building in our backspace with this English, with this English painter, Tanya Ling, um, okay. who I think is amazing. Uh, we've already had a lot of interest in the work. It's this, these beautiful, abstract, colorful paintings with a lot of gestural marks, but very contained at the same time. Tanya um, was a fashion designer, did a lot of uh, drawing in sort of a, uh, a previous life. She's a, a more, mature artist, um, done a bunch of really impressive things. I've never met her. She's actually going to come to the opening. And um, these paintings are knockouts. And so she would be the person I would say that I'm most excited about who's a new discovery. Uh, And that show is going to open in the Hamptons next uh, Saturday. I'll be there. Alongside, Alongside, a little plug, alongside a show called for the birds, which is curated by Eddie Martinez. Um, oh, fun. It, shout out to Eddie, who also oh, really Eddie. helped me early on, like back in like 2014, when I was first getting going, he, 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 you know, he would say to me, why aren't you showing more art? And I would say, well, I don't know how to do it. And so he actually organized a show for me back in the day with Sadie Laska and Jesse Littlefield Maybe. and a couple of other folks. And so, you know, I've had this long relationship with Eddie. So I'm really really excited to put on that show. But most of those artists are relatively known. There's one artist in Eddie's show who I'm going to give a little shout out to who's not known. His name is Leisho Johnson, L-E-A-S-H-O. This guy is going to be um, something. And hopefully I'm going to be able to work with him more. Um, all right. All, yeah. you, all, all you truffle hunters out there, get, get ready. Send, <laughs> Le- send in your Le- request Le- now. Leisho Johnson and Tanya Ling. And they're oh. gone. <laughs> and you can't and not available <laughs> buy two give one to a museum maybe you can get another one yeah, um, I'm, 
I'm not one of those guys. Yeah, yeah thank God. The, the world's the world's full of enough of them. So just uh, taking a quick break from the serious biographical information and, and pitching the program. You were just in Paris like a couple of days ago when we were emailing. Uh, what was going on over there? Anything yeah, you talk about? Or how was Paris? Long. What'd you eat? Where'd you go? <laughs> you know, what did you see? Paris, Paris was amazing. There were a lot of Americans there. Um, I had lunch with uh, Jen Guidi, who was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just She's a little. A uh, at the new Massimo de Carlo. What is that space? She had a show. I think I think the show's down now, but it was like Massimo de Carlo's front room space. Right. Um, I didn't get to see it because it was over, but it's sort right, of right. like Anton Kern's window, I think. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, and a little bit like and a little bit like Almin's front room space, which is basically attached to her main space, which is on mm-hmm. the Rue de Turenne. Yeah. Um, I went to Paris. It's actually a funny story. My daughter, who's now 20, decided that she was going to go to Paris with some of her friends. And I got jealous that she was going <laughs> and I just was like, fuck it. If she's going to go, I'm going to go. That's Great it's reason. a true story. And Great. so my wife and I booked a ticket and also, you know, uh, with um, expansions in New York and LA comes a little bit of uh, global fantasy. Um, so I did, <laughs> there we look go. Ra- I did look around while Amazing. I was here. There are no plans yet, so nothing to report. Well, if, it, if, you ever, if it ever happens and you're looking for a director, Nate doesn't really speak French, but he loves Paris. <laughs> and Paris loves anyway, him. But Nate, but Nate has a new job, though, right? I do a have a job, new job. You, Nate? Maybe yeah, a few so, years down the line. <laughs> down the line yeah. Give it a couple of years. We'll see if he gets canceled. <laughs> um, any other? Any other? I mean, you're kind of in the height of the season for you out here in, in, in the eastern part of Long Island. Any other travel coming up this summer that you're excited about? I mean, I think I have to go to L.A. Uh, in the near future to sort of um, oversee the build out that's going on there. There's not really much build out, but some of the some of the stuff that's going on in that space, which is on Melrose. We're also in process of trying to hire an L.A. based director. So I'm going to have a couple of interviews maybe set up and go out and meet a few folks out there. Um, you know, I would love to go back to Paris, but that seems uh, overly indulgent, overly indulgent. So I probably won't do that. You know, other than finding art and books and this great life that I have now, the, you know, the only thing that I really love as much in life is travel, you know? So I've, I've often said that the thing that I'm going to regret on my deathbed are the places I haven't seen. So maybe, you know, before the Delta variant cancels our travel plans, I might try to get in a trip to someplace. I mean, amen. And that's what really sucked about the past couple of years is not being one of the great things about what we do in in this world of art is we get to travel to these places. Unfortunately, it's sometimes the same six places, but still, I think traveling for art is great because it's it's not tourism. But if you're hunting for this little gallery on your Google map, you end up in neighborhoods that no tourist would end up in uh, ever in, you know, in Hong Kong or even in London. And I think that's like such a great moments of travel serendipity happened to me. It's an an unbelievable gift. I mean, I had it when I would travel around looking for books, you know, because sometimes even the bookstores are in more far flung places than the galleries. And it was just amazing travel because you'd have this authentic experience that you would not be able to have um, otherwise, it's always great to sort of combine work and play. You know, I love that. Like yesterday, I walked from uh, my apartment um, on the Upper East Side down to the gallery in Chelsea. I wanted to take a walk. I was on my phone. I made a few phone calls. I texted a few people. I did a little Instagram. And it's just like this incredible life that I find myself in now where I can do mostly a, a lot of the things that I like to do at the same time. 
Wow. I think that's a beautiful place to end it. Um, it Absolutely. fills me with love and happiness and uh, a little bit of laughter. And uh, I look forward <laughs> to so much more from you, Harper, as the, Absolutely, Harper. the empire grows around the world. Thank you so much oh. for taking the time to I'll chat. I'll see you by this first scene. Awesome, you guys. Thanks so much for having me.